Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So sorry, guys, we didn't get to do our episode last week. I was in Vegas for a conference and like I lost some things. I lost some money. I lost track of time. I lost the file <laughs> from our episode. I lost signal. I had a, we had a hard time connecting. So there was no there was no episode last week, um, but we are back in business this week, even though um, I am again on route to Vegas. So we're very wisely recording it before I leave just to make sure we get it together this time. And I was so proud of myself when we recorded. I was like, I've made good choices, Kristen. I've been up since 6 a.m. having coffee. But then it all started to unravel a little bit right after we recorded the show. And it was, it was a good episode, guys. You know, don't, don't think that we forgot about you. We recorded a full episode. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about polls for an hour. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. So anyway, but we're on remote again today, but we are still with, you know, re- the show must go on. The polls don't take a holiday. So everything. So, and we also are bringing back a few things that we uh, talked about last week. So what are the top lines? President 45 is Mr. 44%. We will talk a little bit about uh, what is going on with Trump, as well as the alphabet soup of federal agencies that have been in the news, the FBI, the IRS, the EPA. How are they viewed by voters in the GOP and voters not in the GOP, too? Uh, Guns have also been in the news. We have lots of new polling on that topic. Uh, Is this time different? Do we have any expectation based on the polls that reaction uh, will be different this time around. Uh, we don't have polls on what the Academy is thinking for the Oscars, but we do have polling on what Hollywood says about Time's Up. We'll talk a little bit about Hollywood and their um, the, the current climate there in the new hashtag MeToo era. Uh, Pew has put out a really remarkable study on voter files, and so we'll talk about that. And then finally, it's Lent, so we'll talk a little bit about sin. Uh, but first, the poll of the week. So driverless cars. Yeah. Margie, you had some. Thoughts. I know. I mean, this is. I, I was amazed. So this was in Axios, um, but it was not done by Axios. Uh, but it was in there, one of their newsletters, uh, and it asked, uh, "How likely are you to use self-driving cars?" It's not a deep dive. It's you know, sort of a top line number, and a majority say they're unlikely to use self-driving cars. Women are seem even less likely. Older folks, which, you know, I, I guess makes sense, say that they are even more less likely, they're, you know, even less likely to use uh, driverless cars. Two thirds say it's not for them. Um, I am all about driverless cars. Like they can't come here soon <laughs> for me. Like when are they going to get here? Can they get here like today, tomorrow? Just get, can I have a time range of when they're going to be here? So these numbers looked, you know, they looked very, uh, they looked a little bit different from where I am just because I don't, I don't really, I would prefer not to not drive. Prefer leave it to the experts and expert robot. 
Uh, so this poll breaks the results out by age, 18 to 35. You have uh, a slim plurality saying they're unlikely to use self-driving cars, but young people much more likely than, than older audiences to say they would use a self-driving car. And I just have to say, for whoever the pollster is that worked on this research, thank you for dividing the crosstabs on age the way you did. So my... Uh, Tomorrow is a birthday for me where I am, I, it's like my last year in the young people crosstab. Uh, but this crosstab, by going from instead of 18 to 34, they go 18 to 35. So it's like gives me this whole extra year to hang out in that crosstab, which is very on my mind right now. So... <laughs> You know, you change the age breaks as, as you get older to make sure you stay in the younger one. This is like <laughs> something that I've definitely heard other people do. So you should you should do that. Like this is, you know, it's, you know, there's a little bit of art and science to where these age breaks go. So you can continue to, you know, keep yourself in the younger version if you so choose. Or you can keep put yourself in the older age break. Obviously, it's not like a light bulb goes off and now you're going to be more like folks in the other tier. So there's a little bit of a gray line. So I think you should continue to break them out the way you want to. <laughs> <laughs> you will just start, young, young voter will count. I, I, I'm giving a presentation at a conference in a couple of weeks and the talk they wanted me to give was on like the under 40s. And that, that was, and I was like, oh wow, we're really like, we're, we're blowing this millennial definition way out on both ends, aren't we? <laughs> Fantastic. All right, well, let's talk about Mr. 44%. Uh, just real quickly, uh, you know, we always do our the, the Week in Trump check-in, and uh, there has been an unmistakable trend since December of the president's job approval creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. And as of press time, Huffington Post pollster average has approval at 43.6%, disapproval 52.2%. Uh, again, these are not stellar numbers, but they're they're better than they were, and it is this is not a blip. This is now a over the course of about two months trend line that has been positive for the president. Yeah, I mean, it also goes along with a little bit, although the trend is maybe not quite as clear as this Trump trend in terms of what's happening with the generic. There was some polling like a week ago in our sort of mystery lost, the lost show um, about showing the, the generic advantage for Democrats narrowing a little bit. But then there's some polling that's come out this week that shows it may perhaps widening a bit. It's bouncing around. Um, so this is, I think, part of p potentially linked to that trend. It's strange, though, because I'm not totally sure what's causing it. For Trump, it seems like he's, you know, no stranger to bad news. He's no stranger to scandal. He's no, you know, there there hasn't been any let up in any of the, you know, usual daily Trumpy chaos. So it's unusual to me. I mean, I, it's not. I mean, it perhaps suggests that these numbers are not connected to the daily chaos. I'm not sure, but this is for sure a thing that is happening. This isn't just like he was quiet for the holidays. Like we had that hypothesis before like he just didn't do anything in the holidays. People were taking a break, but the holidays are over and the numbers are still moving in that direction. Uh, and I mean, I, I am a believer that this is at least in part driven by the passage of the tax bill. And there's uh, some other polling again that we, we don't have in here that, uh, you know, shows that the tax bill has become more popular. And I mean, I think that the, even if you don't like the tax bill or even if 
your taxes themselves haven't changed. Just the idea that Washington was able to do something, was able to pass a law of some kind that was major in some way. I mean, everybody loves a winner. I, I just, I think that, that I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the moment when the numbers started to get a little bit better. Yeah. Well, it's not, you know, if that were true, it's not because Trump is spending his time talking about the tax bill. He's certainly spending his time sort of no. <laughs> talking about whatever random thing is in his head. Um, you see a little bit of that reflected in newly partisan views toward various government institutions, particularly the FBI. Um, that's obviously been part of, you know, subject of Trump's ire recently. Um, and, and there's obviously, and so not surprisingly, there's a partisan divide and Pew found this in the beginning of February. Uh, 78% of Democrats are favorable to the FBI, 55% of Republicans. And that's a pretty, that's the biggest partisan gap out of all these different government agencies that they tested, IRS, EPA. I mean, some of those, which can be CIA, which have histories of being partisan or having partisan views toward them in some way. Um, Department of Education, Postal Service, Justice, VA, there's no CDC, no party, no real party difference there, maybe just a little bit in education, not much, but FBI is the agency that has the biggest partisan gap. And that's new. That's not something that they have seen before when they've asked this, when they tested this before. Yeah, this is the sort of thing where I would expect, I'm actually particularly fascinated by the fact that Republicans are less favorable to an organization like the CIA, which if you... I mean, Margie, 10 years ago, those numbers are certainly flipped, if not much more dramatically further apart, right? The idea that Republicans are less right. favorable to the CIA than Democrats, just, I mean, I, like I'm thinking back to the Iraq war era of the, of the aughts, and it just seems to me that that number would have been completely the other direction if we, if we hopped in a time machine. Right, right. I mean, just, you know, it, it, the like, and sort of covert actions and all the all these things that um, that, you know, Democrats have have it historically been opposed to. But now you see, you know, Democrats are more favorable than Republicans uh, uh, for every single institution that's tested here. And, and part of it may be I mean, there are lots of factors. I mean, one is sort of anything that's may be seen as standing up to Trump is going to be popular, more popular with Democrats uh, or not standing up to, but sort of in, in some kind of battle or maybe the, the focus of Trump and his critique, right? Is, then they're going to rush to defend an agency that's seen as under attack by Trump. Then there's also just the, you know, greater support for government overall. That may be a factor here. Um, I mean, I guess, do you want to look, you, you could look at this and say, well, maybe the fact that it's not even more partisan views toward the FBI and DPA and so on, that it's not even more of a partisan break is maybe perhaps surprising. I mean, it's a glass half full, half empty. I mean, a majority of Republicans are favorable toward the EPA. A majority of Republicans are favorable to the FBI. That's not something you would necessarily think if you'd seen sort of the conversation around all these agencies. So Fifty percent of Republicans are favorable to the IRS. Yeah, what in the heck? I mean, I don't. That is a genuine head scratcher for me. <laughs> uh, I also think the uh, the Department of Education numbers are really interesting because that's an agency where typically, you know, Republicans kind of either gripe about its existence or what have you. Um, but with uh, Betsy DeVos as Secretary of Education, you actually see that is the least favorable agency for Democrats. 
under any other administration, I imagine the Department of Education would be very, very, very high. So that's one where you can sort of see the result defying expectation because of a specific individual that is part of the Trump administration um, that is kind of scrambling how you would expect a number to come out. Right, right. And, you know, perhaps maybe just at the margins, because ultimately, you know, these questions are asking people to have some, you know, trying to measure volatility where there may not be. On the other hand, some of these like the FBI in particular is for sure pretty volatile. So the big news this week and lots of new polling um, since it happened right as we were recording our show last week is uh, a new um, flood of gun polling in the wake of the tragedy in Florida. Um, and I know, Kristen, that you have some ties to that school that you, you know, you're from the air, you know, you're from Florida and, and new folks in that school. Um, you know, I know that I'm, I've been amazed and, um, and so proud. I think lots of people have it at how the students have, you know, spoken so eloquently and been so courageous and in, in the leadership that they're taking on guns is really, you know, it's really unbelievable to see. Um, and then there's been a lot of new gun polling that's come out and people recirculating older gun polling. And, and, uh, what's your take as someone who is a Floridian and looking at some of this gun polling? Sure. So I don't want to overstate my, uh, connections to the school or what have you. I mean, I uh, Stoneman Douglas is in uh, South Florida. I grew up in Central Florida, but you know, it's a big high school that has you know they have a really good color guard squad, uh, and I competed in color guard, and so we would go to tournaments, and there would be the Stoneman Douglas color guard would be there, like you know, winning winning the day, uh, or you know, I remember when I joined the debate team that year. Uh, the national champion in the event that I competed in was from wow. Stoneman Douglas. Um, and it was a big thing because he skipped the national tournament, even though he, the one national tournament, even yeah. though he qualified and won the other because he was a valedictorian and he had to give the valedictorian address. And so, I mean, it was just like, so, so this was a school. I mean, Margie, we have, um, uh, one of our mutual friends, uh, uh, David, who, who went to Stoneman Douglas. I mean, it's, so it's just, it's a, it's like it's it's just was so easy for me to imagine like this having happened at my own high school because you know and it turns out that you know some of the victims were kids who had debated kids who did color I mean it's just it's so sad and it's something not to to rant too much but it's driving me nuts the way some folks and I think this is mostly just like really horrible people on the internet and in a handful of corners of super wackadoo conservative media but like criticizing kids for speaking out bothers me. Even if I don't agree with, with the kids on exactly what their policy prescriptions would be, the idea that they shouldn't be talking is driving me nuts. Do I think that there are media outlets that are exploiting these kids? I do. There is some of this coverage that has made me cringe, but not because of the kids who are choosing to speak. It's more, in some cases, I think there are media outlets that are exploiting kids in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable, but I, it is not the kid's fault at all. And I think that if they want to organize, like the idea, everybody complains about young people eating Tide Pods. Like what would you rather them be doing? Eating Tide Pods or like giving a crap about something? Because (laughs) I'm okay with them giving a crap about something. (laughs) 
Okay, there's my rant. Margie, I'll hand over the rant, the rant stick over to you. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> I will gladly pick up the rant stick when it comes to this issue. I mean, so there, you know, so there are a few things. Well, first of all, I, of course, agree with you. I mean, people who are like critiquing the motives and, uh, and I know people on the internet just say whatever's on their mind and then the most crazy stuff gets you know, brought to the top. Um, so I understand that phenomenon, but it's, it, it's incredible to me that people would even think and say such things about people who are in pain, kids who are in pain and feeling passionate. Um, anyway, so back to the polling. Um, so there are a couple different threads to look at when you're looking at the polling. And there was a Washington Post ABC poll. There's a Quinnipiac poll, um, which has quite an extensive list of of questions there. Um, And I think it's important to remember a few things that how you're looking at this, which is, you know, one, what's what's the wording of the question? Is it a big picture climate question, which is interesting? And you can see how that's changed or tracked. But it does have a challenge when you're asking, like, should we have stronger laws or, you know, weaker laws or should laws be kept the same, our gun laws kept the same. You, you, you know, not everybody's coming to the table with the same knowledge and awareness of what the gun laws are, and they're responding to what they think they should be. Which, and, and it's not that that makes it a bad question, but it is also a different question than saying, okay, well, should we do this specific law? Which is why you have a disconnect between these broader climate questions of, you know, should gun laws be, you know, stronger or less strong, and the actual policies, which are very popular because. They are at odds. Some you know people's you know people think that the laws are stricter than they are currently. So uh, that that's you know that that's one piece of how we look at this. And the other thing is when you're looking at some of the specific questions about policy, for example, you have an assault weapons ban, um, which is something that is now kind of the, one of the current. Uh, policies that's being debated uh, because of the of the gun that was used in this uh, latest tragedy. Uh, majorities in, typically in a lot of polling show support for an assault weapon ban, but not always. And it depends on how the question is asked. So I've seen, I saw one question where it had a much lower support for an assault weapons ban and it asked, should there be a ban on the manufacture, sale and possession, um, which, you know, gave it a little bit more, you know, made it seem a little bit more um, strong than just, you know, should we no longer sell assault weapons? Um, so that's, you know, a slightly different policy question. It had a slightly different result. Um, now, turning to the political angle, um, there are a couple different ways to get at this. So the Washington Post, ABC had some questions. And do you think Congress is doing enough? Do you think Trump is getting enough? And this made lots of News. It was bouncing around the internet a lot, in part because it was the first question. Um, you know, I, and it's not that that's not useful. I think that's important. But I think if you had any other question, any other subject there, that's a, do you think Congress is or isn't doing enough to blank? Congress wouldn't get a good rating. President Trump would not get a good rating. Uh, it, it's, it, you know, I, I think that you know, it's not that I discount these numbers, but I think that, the you know, they are also reflective of how people view Congress and Trump more broadly. Um, so, but, but it is interesting, and this is perhaps, and then we can give, you know, Chris, I'd like to hear your thoughts um, about what do people think is the, is the cause and their views toward the, how easy it is to get guns. And that's something that now I think we're seeing more of these, um, of these questions here where you have a majority say in the Washington post poll that having stronger gun laws. Now they say stricter gun control laws, which I wouldn't have said, but they said, you know, but in that, even in that formulation, 
uh, a majority say it could have prevented what happened in Parkland. Um, the Quinnipiac poll also asks thing questions about should we have stronger, you know, it, it, are guns too easy to get? Should they be, or are they too difficult to get? Or are they about right? Um, and there you see two thirds that say they're too easy to get. So I, I think that's, you know, getting at this notion of, you know, is the accessibility of guns just simply too permissive? Um, and, in, and that's, I think, what we want to look at in terms of the value, at least as somebody who's studied this issue and written about it a lot, what's the val- what are the values that people are thinking about when they think about this issue? And, and one of them is, how accessible are guns? Are they just too easy to get? Could we prevent things if, they, if it wasn't so easy to get? Could we prevent tragedy and loss of life if guns weren't so easy to get by all kinds of different people who shouldn't have them? And by that measure, you know, people are in a lot of agreement. Well, and one thing where I, you have seen a bit of movement is on this question of, well, what if we just arm teachers or what if just more people had guns and then, you know, a good person with a gun versus a bad person with a gun, at least you have a chance of stopping the bad person with the gun. And on this, there is a trend line that shows uh, there it, since November 2015, so not over an enormous time frame. You've had a 10-point drop in the percentage of people who say, uh, er, 10-point increase in the percentage of people who say if more people carried guns, it would make the United States less safe. Uh, it's gone from just being an 8-point advantage for less safe to being a 26-point advantage for less safe versus safer. And so this is an issue where Republicans are really at odds. Uh, not just with Democrats, because that's sort of a given, but but with independents as well, where independents, you know, 35%. So, you know, the, the ease of having guns and the the prevalence of guns is sort of, is not something that it seems like independents necessarily love. Um, on the other hand, Margie, to your point, you know, this question of stricter gun laws, I, I think on this question from the, the Quinnipiac poll, I mean, it's kind of, it would be hard for me to answer that question, right? I don't think armed teachers are the are, are the answer here. I don't think I don't want teachers having to learn how to be in combat like they're a cop or a, a member of the military. Um, but metal detectors, it, it kind of only addresses like a certain type of, of gun crime, right? Like metal detectors would deal with, you know, kids who bring a handgun to school and then you know get in a fight on the quad. But a metal detector is not would not have been the issue stopping. Uh, this man at Stone and Douglas. So, you know, what type of gun violence are you trying to reduce as well? I mean, are you trying to reduce the, you know, gun violence that is related to gang activity? Or are you trying to reduce the crazy person who snaps and brings a gun in and tries to slaughter, you know, over a dozen of, of his former classmates? Uh, because it is going to be different policies that would be relevant to the gun procurement in each of those situations. So, so simply saying stricter gun laws in contrast with two other things that are a little bit more concrete as to what you're talking about does seem like, as a poll question, a, a kind of an odd construction. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, it's like, do you want lower taxes or higher taxes? Like, okay, well, on who exactly? And what do you mean? You know, I mean, it's just, you know, they're, they're very... You know, they're very broad and you're not quite sure what people are thinking about or what they're responding to. Um, and, you know, the other thing when we talk about gun polling is it's it's almost always in response to one of these horrible tragedies. And it's harder to 
see polling or at least the public polling, there's less public polling and conversation about what public opinion might be around guns that are used in, you know, in accidents, you know, when, when kids shoot other kids by mistake, because there's a loaded gun around, or they, you know, break in some, you know, to their, to the gun safe and, and uh, they're playing around and the gun goes off or, um, or suicides, which, you know, is also part of this equation. And, you know, that the easy access to guns is something that permeates and, and contributes to violence, not just in the mass shooting, you know, in mass shootings, but also in day-to-day violence that doesn't draw national attention. But the gun polling and when it's, you know, comes into the public dialogue um, is often tragically centered on the tragedies when, in my view, should also be part of this larger conversation of all the gun deaths that could be prevented. Um, so, you know, this is, I think, I think just sort of my, the last question in all of this polling that really stuck out to me um, was this question of is, what do you think is a bigger problem in the United States? Mass killings committed by people from other countries or mass killings committed by U.S. citizens? Because one meme that I saw kind of floating out there was, right. oh, if this killer had been Muslim, you would immediately be seeing Republicans pushing for gun control measures. And it sort of reminded me that of Pulse nightclub, which happened in Orlando, which is where I'm from, that was a shooter who was who was pledging his allegiance to ISIS. And after that tragedy, with I think it was almost 50 people who died, you didn't see a change in gun laws. So, you know, the, the idea of like, well, people would change their mind if blankety blank, uh, just sort of seemed odd to me. Uh, but there's a question in this Quinnipiac poll that says, which, you know, which do you think is a bigger problem? Mass killings, can, and, and also I should note that Omar Matina, he was, I believe, born in the United States, so also not not an immigration issue at all. Um, but Republicans, 48% say that they are more concerned about mass killings committed by people from other countries, while only 36% say worried about U.S. citizens. That puts them dramatically at odds with where Democrats and independents are. Um, Democrats and independents actually look quite quite similar on this question, where the concern is much more focused around U.S. citizens. You know, and one last thing from the Quinnipiac poll, and then we can move on, um, is to some of the other stuff, but is this question of how much it would, could drive your vote. So they asked a question, if you agree with a political candidate on other issues, but not on the issue of gun laws, could you still vote for that candidate or not? And overall, a majority say, yes, I could. So this is trying to get at single issues. So not like, you know, is, is this issue important to you, but you agree with somebody on most things, but not this, what, what would you do? And Republicans are more likely to say, yeah, I would be fine voting for somebody who I agreed with on other issues, but not guns. Democrats are more divided. Almost half of Democrats say no, actually a plurality say no, I would not be able to vote for a candidate that I agree with on other things if I disagree with them on this. And that I think is different conventional wisdom. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. 
put your skills to work. Go to grow.google/certificates. So then the other big topic uh this week uh that has been in the news sort of persistently is, you know, we've we've talked about on the show a lot, the the Me Too movement, sexual harassment. Um there is some fresh polling and I actually saw this I be, was this done by USA Today? I saw this, like, I, I was at a hotel this morning. I was, like, leaving the hotel. And, of course, USA Today is everywhere. And I, I swear this was the front page of the USA Today. Um, it, it was a survey done uh, to, of members of the Creative Coalition and the Women in Film and Television, um, asking them about their views and experiences of sexual harassment and assault in the workplace. And they note that this is a self-selected sample. It's not representative of the entire industry. You know, they didn't do a random sample of members of the Creative Coalition. They just kind of blasted it out to the list and said, uh, you know, take this survey. Um, so with that in mind, though, you know, we have 87% of respondents who said that in, in Hollywood uh, that at least once they have faced unwelcome sexual comments, jokes, or gestures. Um, 69% said they'd been touched in a sexual way. Uh, 64% had been propositioned. Um, 21% had been forced into some kind of sexual act. And 10% said they had been ordered unexpectedly to appear naked for auditions. Oh, my gosh. And so then they, they followed up and said, okay, did you report, uh, did you report this harassment Yee. when it Yikes. occurred? Uh, and... For almost all types Yikes. of harassment, whether it was something as serious as being forced to do a sexual act um, or something as common as we you know, saw before uh, as unwelcome sexual comments, about a quarter of people said that they reported uh, that activity, which, um, you know, it was a fifth said they had reported to someone that they had been ordered unexpectedly to appear naked for an audition. Um, so that I mean, the 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 incidence of some of these things is extraordinarily high, and then the reporting rates of them um, are are fairly low. Um, but the interesting cross tab to me was they broke it out by age, and that for women who are eighteen to twenty nine, they're much more likely than than women in older age groups to say yes, I spoke out um, about sexual harassment. That it just seems as though, and and this played out, you know, when the Harvey Weinstein stuff first broke about these differing norms and that women from other generations just sort of felt like they had to put up with crap. Uh, and, you know, you can't report it because if you report it, you'll get in trouble. Whereas for younger women, they're, they're coming of age in a, in a thankfully, an era that where you feel a little more empowered to report this stuff and a little less like, well, this is just how business is done. And that really showed up here in these cross tabs. I know. Good for them. Um, so, you know, the survey is not, rep I mean, there's a note about the methodology in the article. It's, it's not representative. It's hard to get a, you know, what's a representative sample of women in the entertainment industry and how broadly you define it and all that. Um, so they sent an online, they sent an email invitation to members of the Creative Coalition and the women and women in film and television groups inviting them to participate. It's self-selected sample of respondents. So it's, you know, it's not a like random sample where everybody has an equal chance of being in the sample population and, and so on. So that's worth noting. And so people who have experienced this may be more likely to want to participate in the survey to have their voice heard than people who haven't. Um, you know, nonetheless, it's not a surprise to me. It's certainly not a surprise given what the polling among women think. We've talked about this before. Women think this stuff happens pretty regularly. So 
it's not a surprise for women to say, yes, this happens pretty regularly. So last but not least, uh, or this is not the last thing we're talking about. This is, I guess, the last serious thing we're talking about uh, is Pew on the voter file. So this was a study. When it came out uh, last week, Patrick at my firm was like, it was like Christmas for him. He was so excited because he is one of the biggest advocates in my universe uh, for using the voter file to do survey research that, you know, random digit dial, if you're looking to do any kind of political study, he just thinks is, is crazy nonsense. And so, you know, we have access to a national voter file. You know, most firms on either side of the aisle are going to have relationships with some kind of data vendor that can provide this national voter file. Um, and this study by Pew really digs into, okay, if you're doing a voter study and you're calling off of the file, how much does that help you? How much do these turnout scores actually help you figure out who's going to vote or not? Um, and, and basically, we were just real excited because this study validated for us the whole idea behind why we launched Echelon in the first place, which was that analytics and polling should not be these completely separate things, but like one supports the other and they should work together. And so it's a very like happy, vindicating moment for us. <laughs> but this is, I mean, it's a really cool study that they did. Yeah, it's really great. So folks should take a look at it. If you use a voter file, you need to read this. So what they did is they compared five different voter file vendors. They didn't name them. It's kind of like when they compared, when Pew compared uh, online panels, you know, a year or so ago. So this is similar to that, whereas just they call it file one, file two. So you don't know who's who. There are some Democratic ones and some Republican ones and some bipartisan ones, but they are political voter files. And they match them to their own um, American Trends panel, online panel, right? So they, so they, there are a variety of different tests and things that they run, right? And one is how easily can people be matched? If you are on a voter file, how easily can you be matched to an online panel? And this is a, this is a thing that, you know, lots of political pollsters will do an online voter file backed panel, right? So you know that the people you're talking to are voters and they have some vote history. Can you figure out where they live? What congressional district do they live in? What kind of political geography can you have? It is not, you know, the technology is not quite fully built out where you can, you know, where online polling can replace phone polling totally in congressional districts or even smaller districts, right, as a, as a full replacement. Um, but it is something that, you know, people have been experimenting with. And what they found in the, what Pew found in this report is that they were able to match about 90% of their panel to one of these voter file vendors. Now that's different than any, just having access to one, they note that's, you know, overall, if they matched, you know, records to all five of them. But uh, what you know is worth noting is that there's you know different panels and different kinds of voter file. There's different kinds of matching ways to match. There's ambiguity or differences in how people's names are spelled and whether how the addresses are listed. Is there are you know do they have their middle initial explained? Do they have two different addresses? All that stuff. And then there's actually bias in how well you're able to be matched. If you're matched more easily, you're going to be a different kind of person demographically than if you're not matched so easily. So that's worth noting in terms of thinking about 
voter file and, and online matching. Um, and then one of the, you know, another particularly interesting thing is uh, how they, you know, the quality and the efficiency of using some of the different flags and scores that are on these different voter files, because all these voter files will have partisanship scores, race and ethnicity, you know, codes, uh, maybe something about education and income. And they were able to, and, and turnout as well. And so they were able, so Pew in their work, they, they found that the education flags were not as effective as the partisanship flags. The partisanship scores were generally quite good. Turnout was, you know, pretty good. Um, obviously there were some differences, but they were, you know, they were certainly quite good race and ethnicity. Those those flags were typically quite good, although they varied, of course. But education and income were harder. They were those were harder to to uh, harder to use to rely on the uh, voter file, and there was some variation across voter file on how well those flags worked, um, which is important because, as folks who remember the APOR report of what went wrong in 2016 polling, one of the things they found was the role of education and, you know, being able to wait by education may make a difference in how accurate your poll is. And if your voter file has sort of uneven education flags, then what does that mean for your ability to use the voter file and the voter file data to figure out what the educational attainment of your sample should be? So can I give a I don't think this is politically incorrect, but uh, it's, it's probably not. Um, a observation or just a funny thing that popped into my mind while I was reading through this, uh, the, the, the matching procedure that they use. So the, Pew is explaining kind of how our match is made, right? Like you can have, okay, my name is Kristen Soltis Anderson, but the number of times that people will spell my name, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, is like, one out of every three times, like somebody spells it that way. Or people will add a hyphen between Soltis and Anderson, not realizing that Soltis is now my middle name. And like, no, please don't include it on my plane reservation because it's actually not my last name. You know, so it can be kind of complicated to actually match, even just looking at someone's name, a person to their their correct uh, example. So in the in Pew's write up, they talk, they use Joe Biden as an example. They say at the time of the data collection, Vice President Joe Biden would have been born 1942 uh, and residing at what observatory circle, blah blah blah. And it says you know they would go through and the software would match you know Joe or Joseph. And if if it found someone with a similar name and it says names like Jose Biden. Uh, and so I immediately thought of in Toy Story 3 when Buzz Lightyear gets switched into Spanish mode. <laughs> and then, like, what would the Joe Biden switched into Spanish mode be like? And so, like, I have been thinking about Jose Biden for the <laughs> since I've read through this. Like, I wonder if, I wonder how many Jose Bidens there are out there and what they're like. I would love to meet them. <laughs> how, how does Jose Biden do in a Democratic primary matchup right now in the in a crowded primary field? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's an experiment somebody can do. So yeah, this was this was super cool. This is super helpful. It's you know it was and and people seem to respond so well on Twitter. I mean, it's it's for folks who use voter files and really have to spend a lot of time thinking about how their poll compares to what they know about the district and what they think the electorate's going to look like. I mean, being familiar with all this stuff is really critical. It's not, you know, we like to talk about the 
the to make people think not just about polling being statistics, but also the art and messaging involved and in coming up with the right uh, the right things to say. But this study is very much about the number crunching piece of polling, which is essential to getting getting your numbers right. So last but not least, uh, this week is the first week of Lent. Uh, we had Mardi Gras happen on Tuesday, last Tuesday, and then Ash Wednesday was last Wednesday during the uh, during the day of the last episode for Margie and I. Um, and uh, and so there is a poll that is being conducted by Wallet Hub, which we we often use this segment of the show to talk about Wallet Hub data, <laughs> um, where they have. It, they have tried to determine where the U.S. has, and I'm just reading directly from the thing, the most moral growing to do. And so they compared the states based on anger and hatred, jealousy, excesses and vices, greed, lust, vanity, and laziness. And the most sinful state is my home state of Florida. Number one. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Right. I know. Look at all these like goody two shoes. Vermont, North Dakota, Maine, Utah, Iowa, Wyoming, New Hampshire. These are at the bottom of the list. I mean, I get you know, I guess it's not too much of a surprise. But there are also places that skew a little bit older too, and the sinful places. Some of those places are skew a little bit younger. Anyway, you know, correlation, causation, <laughs> all that stuff. I will. I will agree that look. Florida's not perfect, but I can't believe California, we we lose to California on this. I can't believe it. It's just like a long-standing beef that Florida has with California on who is the most sinful. Well, I feel like it used to be the case that anytime you would see a completely bonkers headline, like in the 90s, I feel like anytime you saw a nutso headline, it was like, oh, that's California. And now it's become the joke that that's Florida. And I feel like we have begun to lose ground a little bit to Arizona, but I—but I, that in and of itself, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff involved here in the the seven sinful behaviors. I mean, I guess okay, vanity. Does it, like, are they ranking? How are they ranking these things? Like, how do you? Well, congratulations to Vermont. You are the least sinful state. So, bravo. Okay. We learn. So driverless cars, people, what is not to like? Um, Trump is having a good run. It must be those staff issues, indictments, and guilty pleas, I guess. Uh, gun polling confirms what we've seen for a while. People think guns are too easy to get. And for our fellow voter file users, there are no easy answers, but still pretty amazing to think about what we're able to use to understand the electorate. And lastly, wherever you live this week, take a little time to enjoy a little sin. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters, individually at at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson. Find us on Facebook or on, uh, or you can find us at www.thepollsters.com where we have links to all of the uh, awesome polling resources that we have uh, curated for you. <laughs>